As part of my goal to profile the most interesting businesses and ideas that are going global, today I'm interviewing Christopher Templeton, the founder of the UK media firm Significant Void. Chris creates content across multiple channels, including YouTube and Netflix. He is a documentary filmmaker and an activist. Significant Void creates content for educational purposes and to share the benefits of new technologies, as well as developing full-length films. Chris worked for the BBC and was creative director for the London Olympics in 2012. Chris produced a documentary which got Manuel Salazar, a falsely accused cop killer, released from death row and ultimately succeeded in having the state of Illinois dissolve its use of the death penalty. We touch on societies where men are, quote, impossible but necessary, end quote, and how focusing on projects that put a fire in your belly draws in other similar projects and stories. Significant Void's projects are truly global, spanning across Canada, the Middle East, Australia, Mexico, the United States, Iran, and Tunisia. And I learned the meaning of a fantastic new word, Marianismo. Welcome, Chris. I feel like we haven't caught up in eons properly. We haven't, and that's unforgivable. That's totally unforgivable. <laughs> it's kind of an amazing story how we met originally in London at Look Mum No Hands with your lovely dog. Yes, I know. I know. And that was that was 10 years ago. Do you still go there? I don't. No, I, have, I haven't. I, I think probably after... Apart after we we you went off into the sunset, I'm, it's highly likely that I did too. And everything is a moment in time now. It is, you know, once had the COVID time, once had the look no mum no hands time. Once, you know, it's all it's like a pearl necklace. Are you still splitting your time between the U.S. and the U.K.? Yeah, I did live in a. I did actually live in the states for a while, as you probably know. Um, uh, well, not for a while, for nearly two years. Um, and as you know, I know I know America quite well, and and I'm I'm half American. I was born there, so I have this dual national thing going for me. A kind of transatlantic, like you, which is I, I suspect why we get along because there is this sort of. Um, recognize the 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 nature of our role which is really holding two massive threads uh, connected to two massive continents and trying to keep it um together i feel like i'm doing it ever since i left america when i was seven my parents divorced my mother took me over to the uk i then you know wondered where the beaches were because i was born in california and my surfers were no good to me anymore. Then, um, you know, largely became a Brit, although had a lot of uh, family relationships back in America. So just spent all my time flitting backwards and forwards. Um, and they well go back again. I don't know. I left. I left in um, 2016 when when Trump got in. My, uh, I've got very, very old friends of who were actually from my my parents' generation. They were like in their 80s, and you know, um, long-standing Democrats nearly had heart attacks that day. And uh, I saw myself, try, you know, basically say, giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to all my Democrat friends for the next few years. And I thought I've got to get out. I've got to get back. <laughs> that's that's me being dramatic, but um, yeah. I tend to think of the U.S. as being like a very big ship, that it's hard to steer too quickly in any direction, which gives me a lot of heart when there are, say, political moves that I disagree with. Well, the it, it, lessons just constantly been. I, I mean, I I have this phrase which is cropping up far too much in my conversations about going round the park because, you know, I've I've I clicked maybe 15, 20 years ago that. The idea with civilization is that you don't progress forward. It's not a progressive thing. You constantly have to circle back and re reemphasize certain wisdoms and certain knowledge. I'm doing a feature documentary, funnily enough, for a, a Canadian broadcaster about um, Alan Stanford, you know, the fraudster. 
he he ran the second biggest Ponzi scheme. Um, he was indicted in 2011, been sent into Florida penitentiary for like a thousand years, swindled several billion dollars out of retired people. The worst kind of example of humanity you can find. But he's, he was a black hole and he sucked in countries like Antigua. He sucked in the, the Toronto Dominion Bank. He, I mean, he basically, uh, he basically shut down the West Indies because for, because of his manoeuvrings. But I'm doing anyway. I'm I'm writing this script on this thing, and it's um it's all lessons that people are supposed to have learnt with a man like that, uh, and the fact that people are so gullible still. You know, gullibility never goes away. Interesting. There's some very interesting people, not least a whole bunch of very famous cricketers, because he basically, this guy bought a, the Antiguan cricket team as a way of getting in, into the Antiguan government and then started drawing down on the government, basically shuttered the country with his shenanigans and flew around in this golden helicopter you know it's it's the you know it, in in the west it used to be a wagon full of pink liquid whereas today it's a helicopter that's painted gold i mean I, I, my antenna would buzz furiously with a man like that i don't know why he managed to sucker so many people anyway but it, it, it's it's interesting it's interesting I had a bunch of brokers who'd who'd you know take instructions to buy shares and he just pocketed all the money you know, to buy you know, Amazon shares and he just pocketed all money, he didn't do any trading. I mean, it's it's an appalling story, a very simple bit of hucksterism, but he, he got $7 billion out of um, people. Wow. 28,000 victims. Wow. I wanted to give the audience some background, maybe tell us about your, your media career and how you came to found Significant Void. I think it was a long path getting to the launch of your current firm well it it is but i i think it well it's an interesting story and i don't think anything is ever a straight line i don't you know one likes to pretend i think the illusion that it's well certainly in business that everything is a straight line and that's the illusion that people like to create because it it makes you look intelligent you know you know the idea that you point in a direction and you go in it um, but i think it's a lot more messy than people are willing to admit by and large, I, I mean, it's a more interesting story to say you learn from your lessons and that you failed a few times. I'm more interested in men who say, uh, and women, and, uh, that if they're in business and they've done well, they say, well, God, you know, I've failed so many times to get where I am, because actually that's the way you learn. You, you have to be slapped across the, the head a few times. Uh, and as long as you're an honest broker in all this and all this sort of thing, the failures are not um, they're, they're not devastating by and large. I'm not suggesting that I've got failures, but uh, around you, the economics change all the time um, and they require a different response. So essentially, um, you're getting the long answer, of course. Significant Void is, is very much a company of its age in the sense it's uh, I, I would, off the top of my head, given that we've got, we're on the cusp of a war, a continental war, hopefully not, but it's a kind of post-COVID pre-war company because what had happened was I was, I started at the BBC World Service and I was producing documentaries and dramas for, for 10 years and and have been in business, you know, largely as a producer, director and a creative director for tw over 20 years, I started to determine that I needed to do my own programming. So that was an attempt for me to point in a direction um, for the first time, rather than have broadcasters say, make this, make that, uh, which was an immensely liberating, but it, and also at the same time, an, a kind of exposure. So I won't fill in the gaps between the attempts and significant void, but of course, COVID happened. So it is. I I I kind of imagine it as it's as a as a post-COVID kind of pre-war kind of space because it, everything now is about shifting the status quo and trying to keep the world on a steady course. 
concepts in programming terms. And I'm very, very keen to de drive the debate faster because I think we need to. And I'm lucky enough to be in a field of business which allows me to do that. Because uh, I think there is a, a general consensus. I don't know if you agree with me that essentially everything is very p pivotal at the moment. Um, you, you get a sense of it. The suggestion is that we're in a very pivotal time. But as far as my game, which is really content for streaming and other and other channels, I did a sleight of hand, which is very, very interesting, which is why Significant Void is well named, uh, because obviously it's about filling gaps. Now, just very, very, very quickly, Significant Void, I'd like to I'd like to pretend it's my term. It isn't. Um, it was conceived actually by Christopher Wren. And and you'll know this if you look at um, if you ever have a view of St Paul's, you will always find St Paul's devastatingly beautiful from a number of views, and you're actually falling for Christopher Wren's trick because when he built St Paul's, he actually at the same time said there are several different aspects of St Paul's you cannot build on, you're not allowed to build on those spaces are called significant voids. There's actually one of the most beautiful ones is on the River Thames and you go along a boat and suddenly for a brief second between a whole line of buildings with a vanishing point you get an extraordinary view of St Paul's that's a significant void so essentially that's the dynamically what what we do it's it's all about filling the gaps but the the, the twist between what I was pre-Covid and what significant void is now is that the outputs are not about I have a documentary here and then one try goes to the market to sell it. It's all about the channel now. And that's absolutely everything's been it's uh, just imagine that the media world has been all the elements of forbidden put in a bag and shaken and then thrown across the floor and they'll fall where they may. So nothing is where you left it uh, at all. So, for example, just to explain what I mean, significant void at the moment, you, you, you probably won't believe the range of influences that it has, but it does, and which makes it very unique as a content provider. So on the one hand, we'll be producing content for for YouTube subscribers who have like over 500,000 subscriber bases and have an important story to tell. So we support these, so for example, there's one guy who was a whistleblower on the, um, he was the guy picked up on the um, health data processing by Google of Ascension private healthcare data. Very important subject, massive subscriber base. So it's about um, data security. Um, so we wrote scripts for him in on the YouTube because it, he, he had a disposition, a unique disposition, um, but didn't know how to, as it were, write a script uh, and push it down a channel. So that's a typical, uh, a typical significant void thing. But we also do documentaries for schools. So we do documentaries for the American Federation of Teachers who wanted to tilt towards the subject matter of gun control and immigration in the classroom. Didn't have any programs for that. So we produced a documentary and rather than putting it through, let's say, Netflix or down one of those channels, we made teacher toolkits. We wrote all the teacher toolkits so teachers could take the film and then run a class over a week about guns. Uh, and then there's another one about immigration. And it's currently running in about a thousand high schools across the state. And by the way, making more making more of a difference through that channel. Again, there's that word channel. Then if I'd, let's say, gone to the BBC and say, can you show this on BBC Four, where it gets maybe 5,000 people watching. So that, that's that's an example of the channeling now. And that breaks into, of, of course, you're not going to stop me because you'll just have to trip me up because I can go on. You know, and that blossoms into other areas and activities. We are activists for that reason. I was going to ask you a bit more about channels. Is that a phenomenon since COVID or before COVID? 
No, it's yeah. it's very, very much since it started happening before COVID slowly, but it's just taken off since COVID. Well, certainly during COVID, because there was a, a starvation for content, but it allowed, allowed us to explore the channels. And of course, there was a, a massive growth in the channeling, which is why we started producing for schools and producing for YouTube and then also very, very traditional channels as well. So the streamers and we produce, you know, we've got we've got a film about southwest Louisiana with the last the last big storms that happened in southwest Louisiana and Lake Charles, um, all the hurricanes that happened there about the effect on, on the local community. And that's going out as a featured documentary along traditional lines. But it's true to say that channels are everything now because the attention of people has changed. So, you know, we, we will we will produce a script for a for somebody who has a sub subscriber base in excess of 500,000 people who has an important story to tell so that they can tell it. So it, it, it so it's the subject matter, not the making of documentaries that kind of puts a fire in our belly. It's got to do with the channel and it's got to do with the subject matter. And prior to in the old days, it'd be, you know, make a documentary, just make a documentary. But the subject matter is everything now. Um, and that's a good thing because the focus on, on the subject matter is absolutely, people are good at recognising what's a good subject matter and not. Since I've met you, I think it's about the stories. You're you're very intentional about the kinds of subjects you work with. How do you decide what is going to make for a compelling story? Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to again. Here's the significant void cropping up again. I, I mean, it, it kind of writes itself in the sense that you know um, you you may have looked on the site and you'll see there's a sort of the trifecta and there's activism there and there's education, there's film. There's also technology. So we have a very strong line on 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 certain technologies. So, you know, we had a, a, a company coming to us, the uh, Ocean Thermal Energy uh, uh, Corporation, who have a latent a technology of ocean ocean thermal energy, which is a phenomenal bit of technology. They're, they're, they've been basically a bunch of engineers and researchers, but they're ready to bring it to the market. But it's basically renewable energy, fresh water without burning fossil fuels. It's absolutely compliant with, with the target of, of 2050 CO2. We, we back that absolutely. We know how to do it and we know how to communicate it and bridge for them into the next stage. So that is part of what I was talking to you earlier on about shaking the status quo, moving something forward, something that gives you fire in the belly and, and making it work. You will know, for example, I suspect you're going to speak to her, the very bright Ankita of First Planet. Um, now, if Ankita came, came to us as, as well because she made a very, very stirring case about the fact that eco-manufacturers at the moment were struggling to get their products into the built environment. And there was no way, there was no sort of matrix for people to evaluate the products that were made. And she, smart, smart ladies, has built this extraordinary, extraordinary site, uh, the First Planet site, which is a kind of nexus point for eco-material manufacturers and helping them to communicate the, the value of that. And it collates a phenomenal amount of data and relays all these these eco-material product attributes in a very unique way. And that, again, moves the status, shakes the status quo. It's, it's certainly driving debate in the built environment. So we, we back that as an example of the sort of technology, um, the technology side. And I can give you many more. <clears throat> I mean, there are several companies that have come to us again, hoping needing to close a gap that are part of the cognitive re revolution that's happening now that, that puts a fire in my belly there's a surprise tell me about them yeah so yeah they're into so they're they're into producing en energy efficient apps um uh, so new tech and again more new technology it's a sort of a lifestyle app that helps people to manage 
their energy um, intelligently. Um, so there's, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's all around you. It's all around you. And then there's some which is deeply political. I have to say that there is the political ones which which we we also love. We're working very closely with an extraordinary group of people in Norway, and that and and of course it comes out of Northern Europe because the Northern Europeans are good this way. Um, called the Waldner movement, and Waldner was a world-class table tennis player, Swedish guy, and he triangulated that the most historic, which was very clever actually, the, the historic event in I think 1972, when there was a big world tennis table event put together, which was the first time that um, America and China ever got together. Um, mm. Nixon and Mao Zedong met in 72. Um, and sport was the bridge. The Americans mm-hmm. playing table tennis and then with the Chinese who loved their ch- table tennis. Suddenly they were sitting down and all the trade flowed from there. They're, they've got a new event coming up this year. They want to get Europe and the Chinese talking around a table to take the tensions out of the system with the event. That's an extraordinary thing. And that puts fire in my belly. Uh, most people would, would do that. But of course... That needs help. So we're doing a, a, a documentary about 1972, about ping pong diplomacy and just reminding everyone about it. Uh, uh, you know. Does this tie into your work with the London Olympics? I noticed on the long list of high profile events you've worked on, one was creative director of the London Olympics. That's very well, that's very, very much the old days. So that's the old Chris Templeton another big I mean I was employed by a lot of like the big agencies so and it was run by Crown Communications who used to win all the major contracts for uh, all the big platform events and of course they they won the contract for the 2012 Olympics and they needed and they commissioned me as the creative director so I was a sort of creative television director involved, but that's a very example of the old world of them pointing me into a direction and making of it what I could. So that that was taking cameras to the games maker events as that built up because it had a phenomenal following. If you remember, it was all about the volunteers behind the event. And in fact, I spoke to I bumped into, strangely enough, a woman I hadn't seen for a while who was a games maker at the event who, who who remembered me on the tube and she was saying how wonderful it was to be in London at that time because anyone who had a games maker outfit everyone used to slap them on the back because you know they knew they were doing it for free and bringing the Olympics to things so anyway that it's so but that was very much the old world so that was a construct it was a communication television event there was a massive cube in the stadiums um, so I was responsible for all the out the video output and the television output with this biggest video cube in the world in the middle of the the stadiums and so it was a communications role really creative communication role as opposed to an activist fire in the belly kind of role uh, uh, yeah well exactly well you're well tuned <laughs> to what I'm saying here because I mean that's all very well but between you and me and with respect to broadcast and all these events it's more practicality than anything else I mean it's a bit like Einstein's you know it's 99% imagination 1% perspiration sort of thing so in other words you you're running a different kind of motor so I mean I was very excited I mean the timing was very good for me because because of the way everything was shaken in the bag that that allude I was giving you earlier on and then thrown across the floor uh, that was a great opportunity to, to reinvent and I think we're all better versions of ourselves coming out of Covid and and so the groundswell of, of people and wanting to contribute to the things that we do has increased astronomically because it's 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 what people do best. They see something good and they want some of it, or they they understand. There's I'm, I'm hesitating to to use the word magic because it's not magic. It's it's has to be thought through. But at the end of the day, if somebody from you know I don't know 
some, you know, first somebody sees a first planet video that we made, they would say, well, look, we, we've got a similar technology. Can you can you do that for us? And we will if it's that kind of technology. Uh, we will be that we will fill that void if they have if we, if we perceive that they have a void. And I have to say, you know, it's not like any of the big technology companies come. These for whatever reason, this is this is kind of motoring along on its own dynamic and like attracts like. So the base of people that attracted a significant void know that that significant void will work for them and vice versa. It's a nice bit of human sort of kismet, really. It's um, and it's what people do well. This documentary that we did coming up from the ashes about the southwest Louisiana and the hurricanes and things like that. I mean, the um, African-American guy who shot all the material had literally risked life and limb suddenly realized that had all this material, but didn't know how to to manage it and to construct it. So we, we, we joined him on that journey, wrote the script, constructed it, and it's doing all the film festival rounds at the, mo at the moment. But it's a deeply political piece uh, because what we discovered was that in the rushes, which was something that he was aware of, is that actually the story wasn't so much the hurricane, but the fact that the, the insurance companies weren't paying out to all these people who've been putting into their insurance uh, policies for over 20 years. And it's largely because the area has been hit so many times by so many hurricanes. You know, it'd be once every 15 years, but they've had four within the last like eight, nine years. So actually the differentials and the mathematics are not working out for the world at the moment. And people are subsidizing the, the, the collapse of something like an insurance system. Um, and it's an interesting story. It's an important story, you know. So, um, again, another fire in the belly moment because it's, um, you know, the, some of the interviews uh, are stark. And, you know, you look at a place like Lake Charles in, in uh, southwest Louisiana, it was completely decimated. I mean, the destruction was 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 absolutely complete. I mean, there wasn't a... I mean, you, there, <laughs> there was... An interview with one woman who who um, her house looked kind of all right. It had huge cracks in it until she pointed it out. And she said, well, actually, if you have a look, the house is actually six inches to the right. What actually happened was the hurricane was so strong, it actually lifted the house and the ground underneath it and lifted the whole thing and put it six inches to the right. Mm. So it, it was beyond destruction. It was like. So then they had to they had to destroy it because it, it, it looked like it was still all right, but it was fundamentally teetering on on collapsing in on itself. So it's 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 an extraordinary story. So um, on coming up from the ashes, a 2021 piece about Hurricane Laura in Louisiana. When is it coming out and on what channel? This one is doing the traditional route because it's a feature, so it's a 90 minute 90 minute piece. And it's being, it's, it's an 11, I think it's on its sixth film festivals. So what happens with that thing, with that kind of thing, is that it gets bought by the buyers on the festival circuit. Okay. The, the people who put the money into the film, there are a bunch of producers um, who put the money into the film. Well, so they're executive producers or not. You know, the, you'll maybe appreciate the distinction that the producers kind of, the people responsible on the ground for, for actually making the thing and they're high above them. It's a difficult job of the executive producers who really don't get involved at all in the production, but are somehow clued in with sources of finance and they become executive producers, of which which is why when you see a film, there's always like 20 executive producers. I've always wondered what that meant. <laughs> yeah, it's also because one person, nobody, well, no one person has... As the money, it's, it becomes a, a sort of a, a group of interest, a mutual interest, and then they divide divide the potential spoils within the with the formality of contracts between them. So that's what it'll do. It'll it'll be bought by Netflix. It'll be bought by an Amazon. It'll be bought by a, one of those, and that's that's the route it'll uh, that's the route it'll go and pick up awards along the way. It's a, it's a very good film. It's an important that's, film. Congratulations. 
So when we met, I think you were working on a documentary called Art of Living about a fellow who was on death row. And then not long afterwards, you worked on another project called Kalishnikov's Dream. There's a thread running through about dramatic underdog stories or tremendous wrongs being committed. Would you agree that that's a common aspect of your fire-in-the-belly kind of stories? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I don't know why, but I, I, I think one's measured by how far down you reach to lift other people up. You know, everyone needs a ladder. And uh, I, I suspect it's because, I mean, it's interesting you should mention Art of Living because I, I think personally I got defined by this because this was back in the late 90s. The, the case of Manuel Salazar. Just to remind you, essentially, I ran a campaign to free a Mexican-American who was innocent on death row in the state of Illinois. And I, I'd been approached, I was at the BBC at the time, and I was approached by this remarkable woman called Marlene Kamish, who was representing him, and she was trying to get some exposure for him. And she'd worked out very cannily that, that he wasn't going to get the exposure because he was a as far as the the press over there were concerned he was a cop killer it was a, the, it was a simple event of the copper he was 17 the uh, police officer drew a gun and he defended himself and the policeman was shot with his own gun and then he, he was sentenced in four in four days which is unheard of in america to to go to death row anyway so clearly something was wrong there. And so that campaign, because it was successful, in other words, he, he was released on the back of the campaign that was run out of London because he started painting and we did a tour of his paintings. I think that that unfortunately or fortunately gave me the impression that in life you can put make things better. And I haven't really, by and large, gone off that feeling, because if you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a, you know, I don't know, musician or somebody who has a, a some sort of way, some sort of artifact to magnify um, what you do in the story, you you play that thing as as hard as you can, and and I guess that's emotionally all I'm doing with significant void is is really trying to magnify these things whether it's a new technology whether it's a, it's a, an educational piece for North American schools whether it's highbrow feature documentary it's all about the channel whether it's YouTube uh, and, you know because at the end of the day I mean I mentioned YouTube because it's the the irony in the story because again with respect to BBC, I mean, BBC Four would dream of getting the sort of numbers watching their programmes that some of these YouTube influencers get. There are three guys I know who we write scripts for, and one of them's got over a million subscribers. I mean, what is the topic? No, it's a very good, very good question. It's and it's a, it's an interesting topic because it very often what happens, you, you've got to be smarter than your audience, and the <laughs> But what challenge for for significant void that when this happens, you usually get approached by very often quite young guys who know they're onto something, but they know their subject better than you. So you have to very, very quickly accelerate. So the, the guy that I'm talking about is he, he runs a channel called Soft Drinks TV. He runs a piece about loot boxes. So there's a game, there's a game called FIFA, the FIFA game, the FIFA franchise by Electronic Arts, which has become very, very insidious. They've developed something called loot boxes and they're illegal in Europe now, uh, but they're still legal in America, which is fairly shocking. But basically what happens is you, you pay for your game, but in order to play online with other people, you need to pay for, for like you're a football team for all the players. So you can't have a Lionel Messi card unless you pay big bucks for it for like a thousand dollars. So what you have is all these young boys who are stealing from, I kid you not, stealing from their dads in order to buy Lionel Messi cards. Uh, they're called loot boxes. 
So they become, and of course, they, it's a kind of gambling. This is legal still in America. The Commission came down on it, came down on it heavily. But it's an appalling thing. I mean, if you're, he's a the the, the guy who was onto it is is you know he has a younger brother and he's he's kind of emotionally defending his little brother because he realised his his small brother was being conned effectively by it but he played all the games and he understood the dynamic we had to understand the dynamic of the loot box and how it works in order for us to be able to write scripts about it and you know and he runs these half an hour pieces which are very incisive they're very niche but there are a whole bunch of you know guys who play fifa 21 it's up to now who say, absolutely, it's ridiculous. I can't, I, you know, I've got to take out a loan in order to play this program. And <laughs> in the meantime, electronics arts, I don't know, they turn over six, seven billion dollars. I mean, uh, you know, something, something needs to be done about that, clearly. And, and it's not going to happen unless the people who, who make it, who play it and who are feeding the beast actually do something about it. And the will is there. So there's, again, it's an interesting it's and then you know it drives debate faster and it moves towards a reconciliation of the problem there will be some reconciliation before long i'm sure of it as people vote with their wallets and don't buy the loot boxes or don't buy the next permutation of the game you know little little change so chris does this mean that you won't be taking out a mortgage in the metaverse <laughs> no oh no no certainly not it's certainly not with with feet being firmly on the ground, because a lot of this is high in the air, I think someone's got to be on the ground. It's like you you always you need you always need a person in the machine, you know. What it says to me is that your role takes you in a number of different directions, very diverse set of topics you have to quickly learn about and master. Yeah, I I, I mean, and when I say, I, and I meant it when I said this post-COVID pre-war thing. I mean, to give you another example, we've just, uh, and it's shooting at the moment in Australia, a mental health series uh, called Screaming Underwater. And it's all got to do largely with the huge mental health issues that have come about and tensions because of COVID and how people can manage it. Now, it's a fairly serious piece of documentary filmmaking, and it's largely led by a number of remarkable women in Australia there's a woman called Nika Briskin who is she's a presenter and a, a sort of a known presenter in Australia but she saw the problems that were emerging wondered what to do we conceived the treatment for a series and, and have since written the pilot and the pilot's being shot at the moment but because there are significant mental health problems as there are in a lot of countries I mean you know, as you know in the UK the stresses and strains on relationships and, and various other aspects have really decimated families. And, and I think, you know, there is a mental health role to, to be played there. So um, we, got, we got involved with that because there is a way out with all these things. You know, when you reach the enough moment, there is a, you know, I, the, the famous film Cat in a Hot Tin Roof from Paul Newman says, I got to wait for the bell to go off in my head before I can talk any further. You know, there is a point in when we're talking about mental health that actually you can resolve, and people don't who are deep in it and feel they can. But I think documentaries have a role to play because if people see other people coping, then you're doing a better day's work with that kind of documentary than 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 anything else than a whole sort of Ten moments of you know mindfulness on your own. I think you've got to you know you've got to accelerate the process of healing as quickly as you can. Can you tell us what you think are some of the biggest successes, either commercially or in terms of the most satisfying or or important stories that created change? Uh, well, that it's very interesting because I mean I'm old enough now. Uh, I mean, the, w when you ask questions like that, in, invariably it's a story of self. And 
I have to say philosophically, I've been better off where I don't actually think about success. What is successful? I mean, I, I am absolutely, in, in fact, that's a better way to, to think about things because when they are successful and in the sense that somebody turns around and says, like Ankita with First Planet, she's, you know, she's spoken finally to, because she was trying to raise to close her, her financing and on the back of the um, the video got an interest from an investor. Um, that's a kind of success, you know, in a pure business sense. So that gives me a bit of joy because I know that it's not only just about making programs, but it's also about realizing the ambitions of other people, particularly if they they're wearing their hearts on their sleeves and you know they're onto a good thing. Not just in you know, it it's taken as read that they will be substantial business propositions on one level because they're of the moment. But actually, when you know, remember what I said right at the front end at the idea that there is a consensus that the the future is is up for grabs. Well, certainly with the younger generation, they feel that. So when those, you know, I'm drawing a line now between the success of something like that and satisfying the idea that one has shaken the status quo a little bit and advanced the agenda towards a better, dare I say, a better future, whatever that might mean. It's a very loose thing, and I don't think about it too deeply because it's it's likely too overwhelming. So I would I would say I would say that. I mean, I mean, in some of them are. The, like we did a script for a, a production company in London called Noon Films. Um, this is just an aside, just to satisfy you in the question, but um, <laughs> because it is, it's an important one, and it's in terms of resolving problems. But essentially, they'd um, had heard about this woman called Basmat Alkamal from Tunisia, and a woman who had basically had a fiance she came from the rural districts of tunisia and she had a this man who had promised to marry her she got pregnant he obviously wanted sex uh previous to marriage she got pregnant and he dumped her which is a big problem in tunisia didn't do the honorable thing and she basically to cut the long story short she ends up as a pregnant woman crawling through the streets of tunis because there's no real civil society there, uh, living on the streets with the with the handouts of the few kind of people there. She she goes to hospital, has her child, has the child taken away from her. She wakes up, finds the baby's taken away from her, and without her blessing, is a, uh, adopted because there's a criminal fraternity in Tunis in government. They sell babies. They do this as part of their routine and they sell the babies. And was, um, her little boy, Jude, was adopted by a French couple and was in France. And it's an ongoing civil case. We did a documentary about about that, about the still that there are stratified societies in the world. I mean, Tunisia now has 90 percent of the, the country has electricity. It has a you know democracy and thing, but in, on several levels, women are still, and this is a theme I have to say that hasn't gone away, are still struggling in an impossible way. Men are impossible. Men, men are essential but impossible in societies like that. So the story needs to be told. So the doc- that's a documentary that makes me happy because I think it's it's about. Someone who has an extraordinary moral courage who would have been in the shadows otherwise. So mm. um, that that makes me happy. Mm. But also a tough story, which leads me to asking you, what are the toughest parts or the, or the biggest challenges of being a documentary filmmaker or content creator? I, I'm. I, you don't wish for something like COVID to happen. You don't want wish wars to happen. Any of these things. You don't, I mean, Manuel Salazar, who was sitting on death row, who'd been on death row for 11 years, suddenly started to paint. You wouldn't want to go through that sort of situation. But actually, his release 
led to the dissolution of the death penalty in the state of Illinois. You don't want to go to these places. You don't have COVID. But the, the point is, the ones that discovered that during the flux, if your heart's on your sleeve and your heart's in the right place, there are great opportunities. It's like democracy. I mean, you know, democracy is in the flux at the moment, but it's a good opportunity for, for democracy to improve itself because, you know, essentially people are lazy and unimaginative. It's a feat of the imagination to constantly try and understand the ways that democracy could collapse. You don't want to play that game with your mind, but you have to live it. And then, you know, lo and behold, it reveals itself to you. So there, it is a time of flux. So it means it's a time of an opportunity for a guy like Chris Templeton, to be honest, because there is tremendous flux at the moment. And in my job is just really down to, it's like pyrotechnics. You know, you just shine a bright white light over the landscape for a brief moment and then everything's understandable. And when people see that, they can act. So it's just basically a, a pyrotechnical kind of exercise in, in one sense. That's basically what's happening here on a on a dynamic level. But but I, as I said, it's it's the events itself, because what happens is if you if you do a piece that's say, which is very interesting, the way these things grow arms and legs. The piece on, on Basmed, uh, we had a producer approach us from Iran, wants to do a documentary about the Iran-Iraq war, you know, which was, you know, the, the biggest war that certainly that, that happened since the Second World War, I and mean, a million men died. It was an appalling war. But of course, the West didn't really care because it was... It, did, it had nothing to do with the West, and it didn't matter how many people came, but it was an appalling, appalling war. In fact, it affected because the Iranians were sending a lot of boys into into the battlefield, you know, to clear, clear mines. I mean, thousands mm. of boys died just clearing clearing landmines. And, and so it's it's a it's a terrible story, but an, an important story. But that's on the back of the tanning of you know the Basmet story, which is in ten, you know, so the importance of the virtuous circle and to remember that these things are not isolated and the people do have a good instinct uh, for gravitating towards the things that are good and to making uh, making a difference. Uh, so I'm not alone here. I mean, you know, one can't do these things without other people. It's, it's, it's a union of interest that makes these things work. On that note, are there particular resources that Significant Void is looking for right now? It could be hiring people, raising capital, or finding film space somewhere in the world that you hope someone listening to the podcast might reach out to you about? Oh, God, that's, that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant question. Anecdotally, anecdotally, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to you, and I will answer it, but I'll do it, um, if you don't mind, I'll take a slight detour. I remember when I was a teenager and I went traveling in America, because it's a sort of question. You're very North American to ask that question. It's not a question that a Brit would ask. But I remember when I was, um, I was like 16, 17, and I was going to go to film school to do script writing at film school. And I'd gone on this big trip in America and I started working for the Domino Pizza race team and in the pit. Uh, managed to get a summer job working with him, which was great fun. But fun. the guy who ran Domino Pizzas, who was a very wealthy man, had me around, for some reason, took a liking to this Brit who was, um, uh, and I could work because I'm a dual national, so, but but I came, I come across all British, of course. So um, he, he invites me over for dinner and he, he does this real American thing, which is my point. The same question you asked me. He said, if I give you a million dollars, what would you do with it? I mean, that's such an American question. <laughs> and, and of course, no Brit, uh, no, no, no Englishman is in, in any way prepared to answer that. And you know that you've got 10 seconds to actually say something because you're talking to an American. Just say something that's going to knock his socks off and he's going to write you a check. <laughs> and I and I, the first thing that came into my mind is I'd been in New York because I was at this this stage I was in Riverside because the the Indy 500 was in Riverside. The only thing that came to my mind was break, break dancing was big. You know, I mean, 
there was a lot of breakdancing going on. So I said a breakdance film as the first thing that came in my mind. And it didn't capture the moment for him. But ironically enough, he didn't he didn't give me to make a breakdance film. But about a year later, a breakdance film came out. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the point is, you know, sometimes the problems not with the book, it's the problems with the reader. And so it, it's a very hard question to ask because I'm basically saying to you, no, I don't. I don't know that, but I kind of I do if I go away and think about it. I mean, I have, like I told you about Ankita and all these things, there is certainly, certainly uh, lots of opportunities to invest in documentaries that will go on to do well and recoup for their investors. So that's that's the grand point to make. And, and uh, we have one particular projects with them. A very, very brilliant Mexican-American producer in um, in LA, Perla Martinez, um, who, who ran the Netflix Latino division and now starting her own production company. And we we have several projects which have a Mexican-American slant. So there are projects out there that are, you know, we're we're bringing in investors from all over for that particular film. That's a classic sort of a film project uh, on that level. But it goes right down to actually supporting some of the people who we work with. So uh, you and I told you the story of First Planet in Ankita, you know, helping her close her Zeiss rays. Um, so there is a long list and I could I could list them for you now, but it would be boring. But it's, <laughs> true, to, it's true to say um, there are people out there who can help enable the completion of a lot of very, very fine projects and prime part work out there, which is because the, I'm surrounded by them, frankly. There's another company called Akeptus, which actually is a, an American company. And, and you'll note that I'm talking about countries of the world and companies that are in them. There's no borders with this sort of thing, I've discovered. Yeah. That's the other feature about it. You know, I'm talking about, you know, this the, the Alan Stanford thing. I'm talking is with, with a Canadian broadcaster. You know, we're dealing with the Middle East. We're dealing with France. We're dealing with Australia. So uh, we've got four or five productions on at the moment that span the world, but it doesn't feel like it. The world is really, really getting smaller. And I like that. I like that. I do that. too. I don't think, yeah. I really, really, can't, it, there are not enough colours in the rainbow for me, frankly. And I, I agree. Think, I think yeah. as soon as we get that, we know what trade can do for the for the soul of people. That's the, the bridge. Um, so keep trading and anybody who helps um, with the trade, we invite them in because we do have co-conspirators where we where we can, because sometimes these things are not as well invested as they should be. But at the same. So I, I've kind of skirted around an exact answer. You like the Domino Pizza man who says <laughs> ten, 10 seconds um, the big, the big idea, the big story, and then, and then someone's going to call up and say, but, but it's, I'm going to be an Englishman about it and say, yes, they are there, but um, I'm more measured about it. I'm not the guy who's selling the pink liquid on the, on the back of my wagon here. I'm, uh, these are very, very important stories and events in people's lives. They have to be treated with respect. That's part of the deal. Um, because there's huge sensitivities were there with the Alan Stanford thing, for example. I mean, you know, the victims who are coming mm -hmm. forward. The, there's anger there, but it's, it also it's very hard to admit that you, you know, there are engineers who used to be at Exxon and gave all, all their life savings to this man. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can't imagine, oh. you know, suicides. There's, mm -hmm. These are ter terrible stories. Yeah. Um, but they need to be made whole somehow and then we you know one can do it dare I say I'm not promising the ultimate solution here but um there is a way through if they they just jump on board and are willing to tell stories it's amazing what one can do the the finance in film for example is a is a is a crazy salad of of uh, 
financial mechanisms. Um, as you as you probably know, there's equity there. There needs to be some equity there, but the game is really to put try and put up as much equity as possible. Uh, and there are invariably several parties in it. But you know, Pella at the moment is raising on on behalf of Significant Void, raising money over there. You know, we've got Spanish business interest there. She's got distributor. Now this is ready to go. We've got a director. We've got talent all lined up for something like this and it's potentially a very good for people who invest in film it's it's very attractive because it's easy to read just as a as a as a deal it's very 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 easy to read because you can identify what's the um the 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 payments are are going to be at the back end you know it's a very clear well-trodden process so we have we have things like that and that's the, the world is very good at making. I mean, a lot of documentaries are made for between fifty and hundred thousand. It's not they're, they're, they're surprisingly because of the, the, the advances in technology, relatively cheaper to make things. I'll give you an example. Okay, I, I'll, I'll put something to you. I'll put something to you just to give you an example of what's happening of everything we said, which is sort of I've talked about one project. There's another film project called Marianismo, which is based on a, a massacre that happened in Los Reyes uh, in 2013, where the women now that's very interesting. Marianismo, by the way, I wrote it because there is a word for there's machismo. You know the word machismo. And I often wondered if there was an equivalent for women. And there is, except you don't hear it. Marianismo. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's about female strength. And it's a word that should be known a lot more, but it's known in Mexico because basically women whisper it to each other when the men have failed. When the men fail uh, and don't deliver their part of the deal, women get strong in Mexico and it's called Marianismo. And what happened was there was a ma- in, in Los Reyes, it's still going on. There is a what's called an autodefensis force. There is a force which is in, comprised entirely of women, and they're fighting to this day against the cartels. Again, it's an extraordinary story. They are trying to turn over what the Mexican government have been unable to do. And they're taking on the cartels. So anyway, this film is about that. You know, so this is again, it's a political story. It's an important thing could blow a hole in, 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 in the whole issues that are happening in Mexico in terms of tensions between the remaining cartels and its society. Of course, I mean, the Marianism who talks about the, 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 the assassination of the journalists, of course, which is still going on. I mean, more now than ever. Yes. Um, so it's an important, it's a really, really important story. And the murders of women since COVID. Yes. Yeah, but but we can do something about that. I, I think we can do something, and storytelling is is always a start. And there are women, and if, I, I hasten to add, the solution will be with the women. This one, I can guarantee you, because there's something extraordinary. I have to say, from the significant void uh, point of view, I say 75% of of the motivations and ideas and relationships we have at the moment are with women because they are definitely when i talk about this idea of a consensus i think it's a it's a very earthly thing but i think women are very very moved at the moment to make a difference and i've picked up on that and and i actually as a man i i i find it very very exciting um, because I don't see it in the men, but I do see it in the women. And and it's proving that um, how smart women are beyond the, the, any most men recognize. Um, so the solution will be undoubtedly in the next 10, 15 years will come from the saddest thing in my life. If you if you ask me what the saddest thing in my life was at the moment was when An- Angela Merkel left office. I think Angela Merkel was one of the most under underestimated politicians we've seen post-war. 
and and there are many like her making their ways through the both of the political ranks and the business ranks. It's an interesting time. It's a very, very interesting time. One definite takeaway from this is Marianismo. <laughs> yes, Marianismo in the art of living. Really great talking to you today, Chris. And the next time we connect, we'll be at a great London coffee shop, hopefully with some chocolate Guinness cake. Well, we've got to get back in sync because actually it's an incredible chasing around the world because I think there's been three or four times when I've sort of thrown a line out and you've been in a country where I was or vice versa you sound great and I'm, I'm it's lovely that you've that you've done this because I love continuity in in relationships me too they make the world go round thanks Wonderful. so much Chris. ciao ciao ciao, ciao. bye